Father, we just thank you for another opportunity to come into your presence and to experience worship in your presence and to know how magnificent you are, Lord. And we just ask that you would meet us here tonight or cause your words to be what is spoken tonight by your Holy Spirit, Lord. Use me for your glory and your honor. We'll cause my words to be your words alone, Lord. Just ask you to cause the hearts that have come here to be receptive to your word. And Lord, just ask you to be with us and to always show us our need for you. Just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Mr. Hamilton, or Mr. Hartman asked me to share about our trip, but I kind of feel like Jake. <laughs> I can't really do that because it's kind of hard to to really give you details when I don't really know. What, I have an idea of what God will do, but I really have no clue until we get down there. Um, yes, I've scouted out. I have plans, but unless the Lord is behind those, it may just be he wants to get me there so he can tell me actually what he wants me to do. Um, I know Megan really likes to hear that, but <laughs> she supported me uh, in it. Um, but I, I kind of want to talk about how I've gotten to this point where we're going away for at least a year, maybe longer, depending on what the Lord has. Um, we'll be headed to Ecuador May 20th, which is next Wednesday, and we'll be there for until July 2nd, and then we'll be flying to Guatemala, and we plan to be in Guatemala at least a year. And uh, But how, do, how does a country guy from Kentucky end up in Guatemala? Well, I think it starts with the Lord. It always does, and, uh, at least in my case. So I kind of want to share a message that God gave me. I can't remember when I got this message. It was, I think it was right after my last trip to Guatemala. It was right, I think it might have been right before I went to Dominican with our church in last September. Um, but the title is The Potter's House yielding clay. So we're going to the potter's house today, and uh, the yielding clay should be us. Um, and so I want to look in, so how does someone come to this, this, this thought? I was just reading in Psalm 40 once, one day, and that's the verse that talks about him taking us out of the miry clay and setting our feet upon a rock. And for some reason I just started thinking, where, how, where do potters get their clay at? I mean, they got to get it somewhere, right? And that brought that might made me start thinking. So where does clay come from? I mean, anybody that's been to Georgia has seen clay. I mean, when they till that ground, it's red and perfect. Um, or if you've been to a swamp, a lot of times they have clay. And I was thinking, you know what? That miry clay that held us back. Many of us were, we were that miry clay. We were holding other people down. We were right there in there in the thick of it with them. We were all miry clay in the sense that we had to be, God had to take a shovel, dig us up out of that swamp that was only good for getting people stuck, wagons stuck. You know, in the old days before cars, they didn't have asphalt. 
So the wagon got stuck in miry clay, you might be there for till it dried out. Or the horse got stuck, you could be in big trouble. Um, so no one likes no one likes miry clay. Nobody, not especially in the construction trade, you don't like miry clay when you're trying to work outside. I know Chris hates miry clay. Uh, <laughs> he can't make any money when it's it's that bad out there. Um, so I started thinking how how does that analogy apply to us? Because there's a lot of scripture that talks about us as clay in the potter's hand. And so I want to look in Jeremiah 18, and this is kind of where I got the title from. Jeremiah 18, and this is just kind of the story of what God has been doing in me, teaching me that I'm just clay. I can't change my shape, I can't change my form, but I have to be yielded to him. So Jeremiah 18, 3 says, I guess I'll let you get there. Uh, forgive me because I'm using NASB, so if yours says something different, that's fine. Um, so Jeremiah is talking here. He says, the Lord says, actually in verse 2, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will announce my words to you. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, making something on a wheel. Everyone's seen a potter. I think everyone here has probably seen a potter's wheel once in your life. It's got a pedal. It turns so that the potter can make a vessel out of clay. So he says, go to the potter's house. But the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the hand of the potter. So he remade it into another vessel. So that vessel had no value as it was. So that the potter had to remake it. And a lot of times what the potter has to do is he has to add water. I don't know if you knew that, but when that clay gets hard, he has to add water so that it can become moldable. Or There's another word for it, but I can't think of it right now. Um, there's a better word for it. Um, and the process of making clay, I, I looked up a video on YouTube, I know, that's just the main source to get how to make something. But um, And this guy actually showed the process of going out to a, a swamp, more or less, a really boggy area that, where clay was. So he took a shovel. He got a shovel full, filled up a, a not a five-gallon bucket, but got a good shovel full, put it in the five-gallon bucket. What did he have to do first? He had to take that clay out of the place where it was. He couldn't use it in the, in the spot. So he put it in the bucket, and then he took it to this big rock that he had in his yard, and he put it out on the rock. Why, why would you want to put clay on a rock? I mean, shouldn't you just start molding it right away? No, you've got to get the impurities out of it before you can use it. So they dry it out, and that drying process for us might look like chastisement, huh, maybe? Or a trial or... A temptation that we have to overcome. That sun beats down on that clay to dry it out. And you, it's no good. You can't work with clay until it's totally dry. But they, they're not done. I mean, then you pick out the, the main garbage stuff. It's still pretty lumpy clay. I mean, it came out of a bog. It's not going to magically turn to powder. 
So then he breaks out his hammer and starts beating the clay into little bitty chunks, little bitty, almost a dust. And then he kind of runs it through a filter, get the, the leaves, the seeds, all the foreign material you don't want in your clay. And then he adds water. Then he purifies it more. He filters it more. And it it's goes through like three or four different filtration processes before it's ever usable clay, before it's ever even put on the wheel to be molded. Does that sound like your life? I know it does. <laughs> it sounds like mine. God has, has to do a lot of work in my life just to get me to the process where he can actually use me, where he can actually start making me into or us into a people who can be a vessel for honor or glory to him. And not, that's not done. Then he has to start molding you. He, he pushes that pedal, getting it perfect, working his way up, and, and just getting that, that clay pot ready for, for what? The furnace. <laughs> you thought you were done. You, you, were, you were out in the sun. Now it's time to go in the furnace. And if you didn't know this, but the best pottery in the world takes the most heat. Like fine china, the most heat you can get. Um, whereas the small, like the, the junky uh, stuff you just find at here and there, the, the more primitive pottery, that's the least heat. I mean, that might just, you might just throw that in a wood fire. No, the fine china, it goes into a hot kiln where... It is baked, and when it's done, it, it comes out a beautiful product. It's not done yet, though. I mean, it got, it's gotten everything. It's got its solid form. It's ready to go, but what do you have to do still with fine china, for, for example? You have to paint it, and that is not an easy process. I guess it's probably a lot easier on the, the product than the, the molding process, the filtering process, or the all that process, but I want you to think about that as we're reading through and think, hmm, maybe I'm in one of the, I might be in the kiln right now, or I might be, and God isn't done with us yet. He's not, just because we're in the kiln doesn't mean it's over. Just because we're in the, the filtration process, there's still work to be done. We're all, all of us here, if we're following Christ, are in a process of being made into a vessel that he can use to reach the world out there, to use us to reach each other. You know what I'm saying? It's, we're all here, not just for each other, but to reach the world, whether it's your neighbor or the guy that you work with or the girl you work with, the students you teach, the, whatever your occupation is, God puts you in places so that he can use you. But we have to be yielded. I mean, the, and this is, this is where we're going to the potter's house. And so, so he's making the clay, and then he remakes it into another vessel as it pleased the potter to make. Well, come on. Surely the potter let the clay talk to him and tell him what he wanted, right? I mean, surely. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to me and said, Can I not, O house of Israel? He's talking to Israel. He's talking to us too. This, this is for us. Deal with you. Can I not deal with you as this potter does, declares the Lord. Behold, behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. So he's saying, can't I do 
as the potter does, make you into something else. We were, we were something that nobody wanted. Nobody wanted miry clay, but when he starts that project, he's making us into something that will give him glory, not make us famous, make us, not that wealth is a bad thing, not to make us rich, but so that he will get the glory in all aspects of our life, our wealth, anything that God brings, we have to give him glory. Because it's, we can't say, huh, I was just this miry clay and suddenly I, I evolved into a, oh, sorry, that's an anti-evolution theory, but <laughs> suddenly I evolved into this piece of fine china. That does not happen. There has to be a potter. And just the same, that's what the Father is doing to us at this very moment in this very hour. So let's look in um, Isaiah 45. What? Sorry, as we're going over there, let's stop on at Isaiah 64 real quick. Just to kind of continue this idea that we're, we're clay in the potter's hand. Isaiah 64, verse 8. It says, But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay and you are our potter. And all of us are the work of your hand. So you may be sitting here tonight and think, you may not be even be a Christian. And you're thinking, I mean, really? Let me ask you this. How did God create man? Do you remember the first man? dust of the earth and then he breathed into it I mean if that doesn't like make us think we might be clay we are right um, we were the dust of the earth just like clay in the potter's hand and then we're going to Isaiah 45 so now we have here the father is the potter we're the clay sorry I have lots of verses it's just my way of making sure that you know what the, wor the Word says, because I can say all I want, but it won't be of any value. Um, Isaiah 45, and just a little bit of context here. He's talking to Cyrus, the king of Persia, leading up to this passage of Scripture. He's telling him, I set you up. I made you who you are. I am sovereign over all. And I made the path straight so that you could overwhelm Babylon. That's who he's talking to, one of the greatest rulers of his, the greatest ruler of his time. There was no one like that had the power that Cyrus had. And God was saying, I did this. It wasn't you, it was me. And then he goes, he, he talks here. This is what he's coming down to, talking to the people of Israel, that God used, he's telling the people of Israel, I used Cyrus to deliver you, to bring you back to Jerusalem and build the temple and the city of Jerusalem back. Um, it says, Woe to you, because they're, they're arguing, well, why would God not use a Jewish Messiah? It's kind of what he's talking about. So he, uh, Isaiah is saying to the people of Israel, Woe to, to the one who quarrels with his maker, an earthenware vessel among the vessels of earth, Will the clay say to the potter, what are you doing? Or, or who do you think you are? Or the thing to you are making say, he has no hands. 
How often am I, Caleb Martin, guilty of that? Many times I think I am. I say, I mean, God, I like this surrender thing, but can I do it this way? I mean, I'll surrender that, but can I do it next week and then um, on these terms? Can I have a conditional surrender? I mean, I really don't want to put the white flag up because that would be total surrender, and then I'd actually have to agree to your exact terms. Is that possible that that happens in my life? Yes. Many times God has to get me to the place where unconditional surrender is the only option. Maybe he has to drop a nuke in my body, in my life, to get me to, to uh, you know, I know that nobody likes that reference, but, <laughs> but God has to really hit us hard before we're, we're able till we realize how much we need him. I thought that song that Jay sang tonight was right on target. We need him every hour. We, we sing those songs and then we go back home and we act like we don't, myself included. Don't, I'm not a perfect by any means, but we go home and act like we don't need God. We don't cry out in prayer. We, we're just going home and act like nothing happened. Uh, something to think about. So, we don't have a right to, to talk to the potter, right? Yet, he wants to hear our voice. How amazing. The potter wants us to cry out to him. And I want to look in uh, Romans 4. And this, this is, again, this is confirming. The Apostle Paul had read, is partially quoting this passage of Scripture we just read here in Romans Chapter 9, and starting in 15. And this message kind of came to me. Mr. Hamilton had done a message kind of loosely based on this section of Scripture, and this is when God kind of started talking to me about the potter. It says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have, I have compassion. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I raise you up to demonstrate my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. So then he has mercy on whom he desires, and he hardens whom he desires. I mean, I don't want to be that clay pot that never makes it to the furnace. He could just leave me alone, not put that water back in me, and just say, just toss it aside. I mean, this clay's not good enough. I'm not going to work with this clay anymore. Just let it harden, sit aside, and pitch it out. I don't want that to happen, and I don't want it to happen to anyone here but he can harden whom he wills. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For, he, for who can resist his will? On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why didn't you make me like Thomas? I told Thomas I was going to make fun of him. But it's, see, it's a good thing, right, Thomas? Why can't I be perfect like Thomas? <laughs> or this or that will. Not that Thomas is perfect, but Thomas will refute that. <laughs> or does the 
Does not the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common? What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? All of us were prepared for destruction before the Lord came and drew us out of that miry clay and started the filtration, the cleansing process so that he could make us a vessel that he could use. We don't have anything unless he fills us up with his Holy Spirit and pours us out in the world around us. We need his power every day, not only to live, but to reach the lost, to reach our neighbors, to reach each other, to encourage each other in hard times. We need his Holy Spirit within us. And he did, he did so to make known, what? To make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy. If you're sitting here tonight and you're born again, you're a vessel of mercy. God poured out his mercy. You deserved far worse. I deserve far worse. And he chose to give us mercy. I mean, that is incredible that he, a magnificent, almighty, all-sovereign God, would choose us of all people. I mean, I wouldn't have chosen me because I know how stubborn I was. And God is working that out. And I'm a new creation in Christ. Yet, maybe it's because I can't get the glory because I know who I was. And it's only by God's grace that I will be the man that he's called me to be the vessel that will, at the end of my life, be able to say, he did it all. That's what I want. I want to be able to get to the end of life and just say, it was him. It was all the Lord working in me and drawing me to himself, which he prepared beforehand for glory. That's the end of that, that passage. So his glory upon vessels of mercy which he prepared beforehand for glory. So, what, what is our responsibility as, Christ, as believers? If we are born again, if we have seen a dramatic... Not, you know, some of us grew up in the church and we don't see that dramatic change of no more drugs and no more alcohol, no more da-da-da-da. But if you're born again, you know there's been a change in your heart. Even as a Growing up in the church, I know the, that moment that I was born again because something changed. My desires changed. My delight actually became the Lord. And so if we are, what is our responsibility? The potter has pulled us out. What does the clay do? It yields. It doesn't fight back. It doesn't go, I mean, can I just skip that filtration process? I mean... Can I go in the, the, the smaller kiln, the, the one that doesn't hurt so much? Can I, can I do that, potter? So we need to surrender. We need to be yielded. And that's what God had to do in me. I think it was almost two years ago in June, God showed me that I wasn't fully yielded to him. I, was, I didn't experience the joy and the peace of his presence like I had in the past. And I had, I had surrendered to God on my own terms. I had terms to, my, to what I would do. I wanted God to, to use me, but I wanted it on my terms. I wanted to be able to keep this, this area of my life and 
be okay with it. But God said, I want everything. I don't want just a partial surrender. I want total surrender, unconditional surrender, just like in war. Surrender is willingly yielding to God's hand over our lives. Willingly. That's what God wants, a willing surrender from the heart. The commitment to obey even when our natural mind cannot even understand or grasp it. And he wants to do it outside of our skill set. I mean, how's he going to get glory if he takes a, a great... Uh, I'm trying to think of something that won't offend someone. Takes Michelangelo and, and makes him a grand painter, for example. A, a grand, you know... If he just says, Michelangelo, keep doing this, but, but do it this way. Yeah, may, maybe God can do that, yes. But a lot of times God at, it will get the glory in our life when we are outside of our comfort zone, when we're outside of what makes us comfortable. God will use us when we aren't relying on our skills. You know, like uh, Jay, Jake was talking about um, talents the other night, and I, I agree with him. I don't think it believes... It's talking about our skills, you know, construction trade or whatever it may be. He's, God is talking about something that only he gives. Yes, he gave us our skills, and yes, we may use them for his glory, but the, mo the most glory he's going to get of our life is when it's a skill that we do not have, like patience for me, or humility, or the fruits of the Spirit, kindness. Those are not things that... I naturally have in my flesh. Just like the clay does not have the ability to remove those seeds or those foreign you know, limbs or all these things that have become embedded in it through the years. In the same way, God has to remove those things that we, that pride that says, oh, I mean, God could use me in this manner, but not in that one. So I want to read... Um, kind of on this surrender thought here. First Samuel 15. And we, the story leading up to this is Samuel had told Saul the word of the Lord was to go and kill everyone, including the king, and not take any survivors, including animals. And so Saul gets back, and uh, he's like, oh, man, I did good. I, I brought back the best of the, the sheep, and I brought back the king, Agag. You know, Samuel won't mind that. And so he's coming back, and <laughs> Samuel's like, so did you obey the will of the Lord? And King uh, Saul's like, yeah, sure, for sure. Really good, we won, everything's good. And Samuel's like, uh, what about the sheep that I hear bleeding in the background? I mean, something's wrong here. And uh, so we know that story. We've all heard it probably hundreds of times. So then we get to verse 20 of chapter 15. And then Saul said to Samuel, I did obey the voice of the Lord and went on the mission on which the Lord sent me, 
and have brought back Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalek, Amalekites. Wait, you brought back the king? I thought, didn't God say to kill him? So this was a partial surrender, a partial obedience to God. It wasn't a full obedience. He, he obeyed, he knew the will of the Lord, and yet he obeyed up to his point of willingness. He wasn't willing to obey totally because that would mean he would have to obey God totally. It says in verse 21, then he's like, he's like most kids <clears throat> when they get in trouble. They suddenly start blaming other people or they start changing, they try to change the subject rapidly to something that's not even related to what they're getting in trouble for. They're like, but, 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 but. And then they start throwing names out or other things. So he's like, but the people. Oh, it's the people's fault because you're the king. <laughs> but the people took some of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the choices of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord at Gilgal. We just brought it back to give it to God. But what did God want? What did he ask for? To kill them all and not bring anything back, including the king. Of course, he didn't even, Saul didn't say anything about the king. He didn't say what his plan was with the king. And so in verse 22, we have, this is what God wants. Surrender always involves obedience. Yielding to God always involves obedience. They're synonymous. And it, Samuel said, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? As in obeying the voice of the Lord, so often in my life, I think I can make up, or we think we can make up for disobedience with works or some extra effort in another area to make up for our disobedience in another, in one area. But that doesn't work. God doesn't, he, he wants obedience. He says, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed than the fat of rams. And then this, verse 23, this is the part that really hits, hit home with me. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and insubordination as, or is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. So when we're disobedient to God, what is that? If your child continually disobeys you in the same area, what would you call that? Rebellion. Just like Saul, he rebelled against God's command. Just like us, when we choose to continually pursue something that God know, has told us through his word, through his still small voice. And God hates rebellion. He hates disobedience. And that obedience comes from a love for him, a realization of what God has done on the cross for us. It's not due to, oh, I, I want to earn my salvation. No, it has nothing to do with that. It's the changed man that he's made me. In Jeremiah, was it Isaiah 36, Jeremiah 36, I think it is, he talks about he gives us a new heart and he causes us to follow after him. That calls. He gives us his Holy Spirit and he changes our desires, and we want to be like Christ. We want to follow Christ. So, again, 
That is rebellion when we disobey God. Just like when a, a teenage child decides that they're not going to listen to mom and dad until they're 21 and realize that their parents were right the whole time. Um, which, if you're under 21 and you are rebelling, I promise you, you will realize your parents were right eventually by God's grace and his mercy. Not that your parents are perfect either. Um, but, so, we're, we're leaving there. God does not love the disobedient. He, he hates rebellion against him. So, what is that? Where does that go? So we know God hates disobedience. So does God expect obedience from us as his children? I mean, apparently it was a big, big deal because he just kicked, he just told Saul, you're not going to be king much longer. You're no longer my king for this, these people. So it's a big deal. So let's look in Romans 6. I love this chapter because it talks about how we've been set free. Um, but we're just going to read 6.16. says, Do you not know that when your presence present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, so we were all slaves of sin, we were all in the miry clay. We had no hope of getting out of the miry clay unless God came and scooped us up and started that work. You became obedient from what? The heart. That is what God is looking for. What did he say about King David? King David made mistakes, but what did it say? He was a man after God's own heart. He followed God with his heart. And same with us. When God does that, that work in our heart, when we're born again, our heart changes. He gives us a soft heart for the things of the Spirit. We can suddenly understand the Word like we never understood before. It was just a literary book before. And suddenly it becomes real in our daily life. And we want it. we got to get in it. we got to... We want to know what God wants for our lives, not only through the Word, but through prayer. And again, I'm not perfect in all these areas. God is teaching me to love Him more and to desire more of His Word and to desire more of His presence in prayer. But so, but thank be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching which you were committed and have been freed from sin, and you became slaves to righteousness. Now, we're slaves to righteousness, but it's like a freedom that we never, we couldn't obey God before we were born again. There was no ability within our human nature to obey God. That's why he had to put his Holy Spirit within us. That's why Jesus lives in us, because he's working through, in and through us, to bring about his glory. It's all a hymn. Yes, there are 
evidences in our life, but that's all because God is working in us for his glory and for his majesty. He's got us on that wheel. He might have us in the kiln now. He might be painting us up, but in the end, he's going to get the glory. He's going to be the one that we look at and say, it was all him. I don't even, de- I don't even deserve this opportunity, but it was all him. I, I look at my life before God started doing this work, and I think, man, I lost out so much because I wasn't willing to surrender totally. And so I made that commitment oh, just about two years ago. It was a, a, a commitment to obey him even in the littlest things. Because I, I, pr- I cried out to God. I'm like, where is your presence? Where is your joy in my life? Why can I not sense your presence? He was always there. He was chastening me. As it, when it talks about in Hebrews 12, he was chasing me because he loved me. And the worst thing that he can do, and for us as a Christian, is when we start to feel his presence, kind of back off. And we don't joy in his presence. We don't joy in the peace that he gives. And then after that, it was like God just started flooding my heart with a, a joy I hadn't even experienced before that, and a peace in him. And I... I I went back to Guatemala for a month at that point. And then I got back and God wanted deeper obedience. Big shocker. <laughs> I, he wasn't done with me yet. And that obedience took him a little while to get me to put the white flag up and say, okay, God, you can have my house. That was one thing I didn't want to give up. I put a lot of work in it. I didn't want to give it up. And I'm not saying everybody out here needs to go sell their house. I'm this is just God working in me. This is what I needed, he needed, he had to do in me to show me how much I need him. And, but one day, God showed me in a, in a song, of all things, there was a song that said, and I don't know if I shared this last time I shared, but there was a song that said, uh, I don't want to live my life knowing I didn't give everything. And that was just like an arrow straight for the heart. It was like God said, that's me talking. Listen to him. Listen to this song because this is, this is your heart. I know it's in your heart because I put it there. And at that moment, I didn't really want to give up my house, but I made the commitment and I went and talked to Paul and my parents about it and everything changed. I was gone for five months to Guatemala and God opened doors in my heart, started working in my heart in ways that, I mean, I had never, up to that point in my life, experienced peace and joy like I had after that decision, knowing that God had shown me his will. And I came back, and I was like, here, get rid of the house. I don't need the house. I don't want the house. I mean, <laughs> I had to check and make sure I, it wasn't just excitement, but I prayed about it, and God gave me confirmation to sell my house. Um, but it was all his work. It wasn't me trying to be some religious uh, martyr of sorts in, in the fact of, oh, I'm just giving up everything. I'm, I'm suddenly some great guy because I don't have anything in my possession and I'm just going to go live in another country for however long God asks. No, it wasn't about, it was what God wanted. It wasn't about what, and that's the thing for us. In whatever area God is calling us, open your heart. Be willing to see his will for your life. 
and I, it's kind of off topic, uh, not off topic, but off of what I was going to say. God was teaching me to obey without question and without understanding of the step after the one he asked me to take. A lot of times that's what faith is about, is taking that step, not knowing, I mean, I can only see for this far, not knowing what lays right here. I look, I look out and I'm like, oh, it's a cliff. And God says, no, it's not. I'm there. My eyes are blinded until I take that step. And when I take that step, God opens my eyes to the next step. He might show me the next two steps. But I have to surrender and take those steps as he guides. Just like when we're walking through a path that's like got those, those little, like a path. What do you call those? What is that, Chris? <laughs> yeah, stepping stones. I mean, you might be walking through this garden and it's like super muddy around, but the stepping stones are there to keep you from getting all dirty. And I mean, you don't want to not have stepping stones if you're on your way to church on Sunday and the only way to get to your car is through this muddy lot. Those stepping stones are there to keep you clean so that you can get to your car without having dirt and filth all over you. Not that we care. God loves us, though, <laughs> and he does desire that we treat him with reverence. So I'm getting close. I'm sorry if I'm taking long, if I seem long. Uh, let's look in Matthew 7. Matthew seven twenty one, And this just goes back to works don't mean anything if it's not from the heart. If it's not out of love for the Lord, it doesn't matter what all we do. If it's not born out of a spirit of humility and a spirit to please the Lord, then it'll have no effect in our life for good. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? I mean, I haven't done that. And in your name cast out demons? Um, I prayed for someone one time, but I don't know if they were fully. Or, or in your name perform any miracles? To be honest, none of these describe me. And yet we, we look at people that are able to do these things and it seems genuine and think, well, they're, they're moved and empowered by the Lord. And then it says, Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Or another translation says, who work, are currently working unrighteousness or lawlessness. What would you, what would you call someone who is against the law in everything they do. A rebel. They're in rebellion. So, in the same way, these people, they're relying on their works to get to heaven and not on the Lord, Jesus Christ, their Lord and Savior. Therefore, anyone or everyone who hears the words of mine, and this goes into the parable of the two men who built their houses, but um, therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them, may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. 
So we can't just go and start doing stuff. We need to know, know what God's word and his will for our life is. We can't just go out and, oh, I mean, Jake moved to Portland. I should move to Portland. Or Caleb is moving to Guatemala. I should move to Guatemala. Or uh, so-and-so moved here or there to do this, this, to be used by the Lord. I should go do that. No. God's will for each of us is different. We each have a different calling in the church. We all have a calling in the church to minister. It doesn't matter if you're five years old and you just got saved or you're, I mean, I don't know, a hundred. God can use you at every part and every day should be an opportunity for him to minister. It should be our normal Christian life to minister every day, not a partial. We should all be on fire. Uh, Megan's dad has this saying that I really like. He said that many churches are so cold today that when somebody gets up to room temperature, everybody, <laughs> you probably already heard this one, but when somebody gets up to room temperature, everybody thinks they're on fire. Is that the truth in our lives? I hope not. I mean, I want to be on fire for real, not just playing games, not just settling because I'm better than Jack and Joe. There's too many Joes here, sorry. <laughs> I forgot. There's no Jacks here. That's a good thing. But, um, but just because I'm, I think I'm better than somebody else, that doesn't, that doesn't matter. It's all about following him. What is his will? What is he speaking to my heart tonight or tomorrow or every day that I'm living? What does he want me to do today? Just like Jay was saying, what is today about? It's about serving him in this moment, in this hour. So let's uh, look at 1 John 5, 3. I'm, I am getting there. 1 John 5, 3. And this is just something that really hit me at home when God started doing that work in my heart. It says, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. That's the change. You delight in His Word. So it's like, what can I do to please you, Lord? And you're desiring His will for your life. So you're, you're looking for opportunities to please Him in your daily life. In that moment that God, every moment, just like the song we sang, uh, every breath I take. I mean, that's a... That song is pretty powerful if you really think about the words that we're singing there. We're saying every moment of every day, we want to be all for you. That's a pretty strong statement. I mean, a lot of songs we sing have a lot of emphasis packed into it. We're saying a lot of things to God that I pray that we realize and fulfill those things in our walk. So they don't be, they're no longer burdensome. Why? Because that's our delight. Our joy is Christ. And so in Deuteronomy 10, this verse always gets me every time I read it because it just challenges me. Is this real in my life? Is this really my life? Is this all I want to do? I have friends. There's one friend here that in the church that the only time I can get him to talk to me is about the Lord, so it's a pretty good uh, sign that he loves the Lord. 
You can't get him to talk about anything, but you talk to him about the Lord, it's a sure, sure conversation. Uh, Deuteronomy 11, 18 through 20. And it says, You shall therefore impress these words of mine on your heart and on your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets on your forehead. You shall teach them to your sons, talking of them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and your gates. This is what I want. I mean, I want to walk out of my house talking about the Lord and come home talking about the Lord. I want to, when I sit down with my beautiful wife who I don't deserve, uh, I want to be able to, that to be what our, we talk about. Or when I'm hanging out with friends, that's, that's when I want to gravitate towards, to talking about the Lord, just like John was talking about on Sunday, that we just want to talk about the Lord because His presence comes in and fills our hearts with a burning, deeper desire for Him. And, I mean, the friends of mine that do that are the ones I want to hang out with because it's like you leave talking with them and you're like, man, Lord, that was good. And I felt like I went to a church meeting. I didn't even go to church. Uh, probably like the old, old days back when Brother Hamilton and Miss Hamilton were up to all hours of the night and then going to teach four hours later in the morning. <laughs> it, that burning was there. You, you wanted it. You didn't want to stop. Um, God becomes our delight, and we cannot live without him. Just like Peter, he said, I'm not leaving. You have the words of life. Is that how I live? Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I act like God has the words of death because I try to avoid him. But he has the words of life. He has everything we need every moment of every day. And I just want to end in Psalm 1. We all know this passage of Scripture probably have read it many, many times. I didn't really become, begin to understand this passage until God started showing me what true surrender was about, an unconditional. And he just, verse 1, it just starts saying, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and, his, and in his law he meditates day and night. So why don't you think he walks in the counsel of the wicked? He's already got a counselor. counselor. He's in heaven. He, it says he's meditating in the law of the Lord all the time. He doesn't want counsel from a secondary terrible source. He wants straight from the source, straight from the Lord. Not saying that we don't, as brothers and sisters in Christ, seek counsel within each other, but we shouldn't be going out to uh, Mr. I'm trying to think of. I'm trying to think of a like a financial firm that's not even got a Christian in, and say, "What do you think about this?" That's kind of. I mean, that doesn't sound right, does it? I know that's my that's an opinion. I I don't think that's up to you to decide, but I don't think it's right. For me to go talk to the world, and I haven't even talked to God about it. I'm like, oh, I have this great idea. Let's go talk to these five companies, and then, then I'll come talk to the Lord after I get 
some things work, wrinkled out, those wrinkles out first. No, the Lord wants us to come to Him first. We should be His, He should be our source, just like that clay needs the water as it's being molded. It needs that water so that it can be molded into the, the fashion in the shape of what the, the master potter is making. And just the same, why would you want to stand in the path of sinners? Why would you want to hang out at the, at the gate to the city talking to the sinners when you could be studying the Word, just like this man, day and night? Do I have time all the time? No. The Christian life should be, uh, is open to everyone. There's, there's not some, oh, this guy's a monk. He must be really spiritual. And then there's this other guy that's kind of like, you look at him and you think, hmm, is he, is he really Christian? I mean, he comes to church Sunday and Wednesday, but the rest, I mean, I see him out in the street and he's kind of rough around the edges. He doesn't really, and I'm talking about somebody that's been in the church for 20 years. There's no change in their life. And the same with us. So what, what draws us to those people? I'm not saying we, we don't go and witness. We don't be a light, but that's not our, we don't seek them as company, as, as close friends. Or sit in the seat of scoffers. That is definitely against what God teaches. To, to sit around and talk about how, how bad Thomas has been. I mean, shoo, I could talk all day long. No, I couldn't. But as you know, I already think he's a great guy. But, uh, or talk about somebody in the church or anybody. That's, that's not our responsibility. Even our president... I know that some people don't have a problem talking about the leaders of our nation, but we don't have a right. We have one right, and that is to pray for our leader. And if we have problems in our life, it might be there. I know I have to fight it sometimes, because I don't agree with everything that's being done in our nation, but we have more power in prayer than we do in our words, talking about it, that person or so-and-so in power. Our prayers have way more power. So we delight in the law of the Lord. And because of that, we're like a tree, firmly planted, because our roots are deep. We, don't, we can't be swayed because we always have water. We always have the potter's hand upon us, forming us into that vessel that he can use. So let's be that clay that is yielded totally to the Lord. It's not always easy. I, I can promise you that. I've already, in my short lifespan, I've already seen how hard it can be at times and how much I don't want in my own flesh to yield. But every time I've yielded, God has blessed me far above what I ever thought was possible. Dreams that he put in my heart just changed and they were better than what he had, he, he had put in my heart to dream for. I mean, that's what it's about. It's about giving him the glory not to get something. It's just because you want to please him. And then when the blessings come, you're just like, whoa, this is just incredible. So God is faithful. He's true to his word. And he's a magnificent God. He loves us and he, he is merciful to us. But don't let the mercy run out on you. Don't, 
don't sit back. If you're sitting here tonight and you're thinking, I, haven't, I don't have that joy or the peace. I mean, I, got, I was born again 20 years ago, and I mean, I remember like moments in my life when I really experienced God's joy and his peace. If you're not there today, ask him. He wants you to come to him. He wants you to seek him first, and he will answer, just like uh, John was saying on Sunday. He wants us to open the door. He wants us to seek him and to seek his word. He will answer. He desires to answer. We just have to cry out to him and say, God, something's wrong in my heart, and I need you, and I am desperate for you. And that will change your life, I promise you. If, if you seek him with all your heart, you'll find him. And you'll find his purposes, his will for your life. When we follow the Lord with our lives, so as to please him and his will, we'll see a major change in our life. And for us, for Megan and I, it's moving to Guatemala. Um, we're moving into a a town called Jalapa. Um, it's, we're going to be living in this neighborhood just outside of Jalapa that's in in comparison to here, it's very, very poor there. Um, no running water. They do have electricity and they do have a water truck that comes around every day. Um, it's very hot there. If, if I had the choice, I would ask God to take me up in the mountains in Guatemala, but he put me there so that I wouldn't enjoy it too much maybe. I don't know. <laughs> But I do, I do know that God has clearly directed me to, to go there, and we'll be working with a church that is already in that, neighbor, in that neighborhood, um, and they have support actually from Somerset, that, that church does. And the pastor in, there in Guatemala, he speaks English and Spanish, which is really nice because anytime I want to ask him, how do you actually say that right? When, or I can ask him, how bad was that sermon in Spanish? He can tell me the truth. <laughs> uh, but to be honest, I don't know exactly what we're going to do. Our, our plan is just to be neighbors and then see how God leads us from there. Be a part of the church there. Support the church there. And we pray be a godly example to the people there of what a godly couple looks like. I mean, we're just starting, but I believe that we both have had great examples in our parents, and because of that, we have an opportunity to be a light in a place where many families don't have their fathers. Most of the time, the father has no desire to be in the church. So it's a, it's a different atmosphere for me when I'm there, and it's the majority of the people are women. And uh, But I know that God has a purpose for us there, and we just desire your prayers, that God would guide us and give us wisdom, that he would teach us. It, when you go to Guatemala, when I, every time I go to Guatemala, I'm like, this isn't about them, it's about you getting a hold of me, Lord. He's, he's, he's calling me down there so he can work on me, because apparently it's not good enough here. <laughs> not in a bad way, but uh, apparently I'm not diligent enough or I don't know I don't know why God has to send me to Guatemala to work on me but I'm, I'm happy to be there and I, I believe that that's his will for our our lives and we don't know when we be, we'll be back um, we have we'll be there at least a year 
So it could be, we, we won't be back before next July, but uh, we appreciate your prayers. I will be keeping, um, kind of try to update the blog. I may just let my wife do that. That'll be nice. <laughs> uh, and that and all the other things she has to do. Uh, but um, we do want your support. And if you ever, I told this to Brother Hamilton um, before we got married, that if he ever saw me needing accountability to call me up. So I, I ask you to do that to me. If you see posts on Facebook or on my blog and you're like, something's wrong there, you call me up. I'm serious. We want accountability. We don't want people to think that they can't call us out when we need to hear the truth. We're young. We're going to be learning just like anybody else. So we, we need all the help we can get, and especially the prayer that we can get. So thank you for your time tonight. And um, how about we just, I don't know, does Jay, is Jay going to sing? I don't know. Yeah. Oh. We're going to Ecuador to get a certification for me to teach English as a second language, kind of as a tent-making skill. Um, so we'll be have five weeks of classes there, and we'll also visit Pastor Merchon, who was at youth camp a couple of years ago with his family. Um, so we're going to visit him for a few days and visit a friend of mine's family as well. Um, so we just pray that God would give me wisdom and good time studying. I just want to be like Thomas when it comes to studying. Just shut myself away, not even look at my wife. Just be like, no, I'm busy. <laughs> I'll look at you, I promise. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all the women in here are laughing, and the men. But, uh, but we do appreciate your prayers. And um, I was thinking as we close tonight that maybe we could just give a, a clap offering to the Lord just for his the greatness, he's worthy. He's worthy of all our praise, all our worship, and he deserves all that we have. And uh, I'll pray, and then we'll, we'll do that if that's okay with you guys. Father, we just thank you for meeting us tonight. Just ask that you would cause your words to take root in our hearts. Lord, help us not to forget the words that you have spoken to us each in each of our situations. Lord, you have... I believe, spoken tonight, and we just thank you for your magnificence and your, your glory, and yet you love us so much and give us mercy and grace despite our, our failures, and you, you continue to chasten us, Lord, and we thank you for that. And we just want to praise you tonight for your power and because you're just worthy. You're worthy of all of our honor and all the glory that comes from our lives, Lord, and we just ask that our lives would be poured out for you and for your glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Just praise the Lord just for, for being him, for being the Lord. I don't know how you start that, but <laughs> I bet we can just do it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.
you're dismissed. I hope you're awake now, <laughs> and just in case you fell asleep. <laughs>